Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Thanks for joining us on this week's AccuWeather podcast. I'm your host, Regina Miller, and I'm joined in the studio once again by Andy Robb, my producer. And our topic this week is weather in movies, Andy. Yeah, we're going to be sitting down with some people here from AccuWeather to talk about uh, some of our favorite movies that involve the weather and just how accurate or ridiculous they might actually be. Right. Well, you know, we have uh, Becky DePodwin and Jesse Farrell. There are two of the meteorologists here, the movie buffs, so they're going to kind of give us the is it real in the movie, is it fake in the movie kind of thing going on. You're not a meteorologist, so I gotta ask you, of our two movies, which are Twister and The Day After Tomorrow, uh, do you prefer either? I really like Twister a lot. I remember seeing it when it first came out. Uh, I saw it in the movie theater. I thought it was amazing. I didn't know about you know some of the historical connections uh, between it and the accuracy from Twister. And then The Day After Tomorrow, I, I like movies that are that are so bad that they're awesome. And that I think is it, it kind of an example of it. So I I'd lean more towards Twister, but I do enjoy both of them. You think so? And you, well, and the other reason I'm sure you like Twister is because uh, Bill Paxton's fiance in the movie is a Seinfeld. He, Andy is a huge Seinfeld buff, so she was a Seinfeld character at one point. Yeah, she was the I I can't spare a square. Right, with Elaine in yeah. the bathroom. So, <laughs> so we're talking about those two movies, and then uh, also uh, on a more serious side, in topic two, we're going to be talking to Bernie Reno about uh, Alberto, its effects on the eastern part of the U.S. here with flooding rains, and also the difference of a tropical versus a subtropical low. So all that's coming up after this. From our global headquarters in State College, Pennsylvania, it's the AccuWeather Podcast. Here's your host, Regina Miller. Okay, we're joined in the studio today by AccuWeather meteorologist and movie buffs, uh, Jesse Farrell and Becky DePodwin from here at AccuWeather. And um, I'm glad to have you guys here. Thanks for sitting in to talk about these movies. Yeah, excited to talk about some uh, some of my favorite movies, at least probably Jesse's too. Yep, same here. <laughs> okay, and the movies that we decided that we're going to talk about here are Twister and The Day After Tomorrow, which I have to admit, The Day After Tomorrow, the first time I watched it was getting ready for this. But with Twister, uh, let's start real quick, because I'm just going to give a brief synopsis of that, because that was with uh, Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt. It was 1996 movie. The synopsis, or the Cliff Notes version here, is as a child in Oklahoma, Helen Hunt's dad in the movie is sucked up into a tornado. <laughs> so then she grows up to be part of a research team chasing tornadoes, and the team designs an instrument containing hundreds of little sensor balls that they will hope will get sucked up into the tornado where it can gather reading. So I'm going to just let you guys uh, launch into it here. <laughs> so tell me what your thoughts were on that movie, first off. <laughs> well, there are actually a lot of accurate parts to Twister, um, one of which being the the Toto, uh, Dorothy, that was actually loosely based um, on a project that was conducted by the National Severe Storms Laboratory back in the early 1980s. It wasn't successful. They never got it off the ground. But I, I do believe the concept of Dorothy and Twister is loosely based on that and sending these sensors up into the tornado and having to place these giant as pods 
close to a tornado to allow that to happen. Right. So that part's actually pretty accurate. It is. And with uh, Toto, I think I was uh, reading up on some of that, too. It worked a little bit better with straight line winds because they had problems with the whole idea of it getting sucked up into the tornado, I think, as, right. as I was reading about that. The hard part is, is having it be heavy enough to not be completely lifted into the tornado while still allowing the sensors to be light enough to go into the tornado. But as we know, tornadoes can you know, toss tankers that are several tons. So that part's, I think, really tricky. Right. What about you, Jesse? What were some of your uh, favorite inaccuracies, accuracies? Um, I actually like Twister quite a bit, and they actually did a lot of their homework in that movie. It's one of the rare science movies um, of any fame of any sort that actually they did bring on storm chasers and storm photographers as uh, consultants for the movie. And um, except for the extreme number of tornadoes in the movie which has only happened a couple of times in history um it's actually fairly accurate and you know people are still trying to get instruments into tornadoes these days for example our storm chaser reed timmer um has been working on a rocket that would shoot sensors into the tornado and he's been attempting to deploy that this year so that kind of research is is still taking place which is great so that's good there's been some real uh, accuracies in that let's play i want to play a little clip of this these sensors go up the funnel and radio back information about the internal structure wind velocities flow asymmetries we could learn more in 30 seconds than i have in the past 30 years get a profile of a tornado for the first time and what will that do if we knew how a tornado really worked we could design an advanced warning system aren't there already tornado warnings well, the civil They're not good enough. They're nowhere near good enough. Right now, it's three minutes. If we can get this new information, we can increase warning time to 15 minutes. Give people a chance to get to safety. At least that's what these guys are trying to do. Yeah, so I was curious about this part of it. Okay, so even if you get all the dynamics of the inside of the tornado, how realistic is it like to have tornado warnings that expand out any amount of time? Like the extent that they're talking about, like 15, 30 minutes. It's possible that uh, even if you had even if you had that research done, um, that it might not make you be able to warn a whole lot sooner. And there's also been discussions um, about whether or not there's such a thing as too much warning time. And do people get complacent if they think they have too long to uh, react to a tornado? Right. I mean, lead time has actually increased. The movie was filmed in 1996, and lead time has increased to around 15 to 20 minutes now, uh, which is, I think, about good. Uh, to Jesse's point of having too much lead time, people might go into shelter, sit there, wait, nothing happens, and then they leave shelter at just the wrong time. So it is definitely a, a fine balancing act to determine how much lead time is the right amount. Um, but we, we have come a long way in, in two decades since this movie was filmed in being able to accurate, accurately predict uh, the lead time of, of a tornado and it, when it might develop. Tornado, tornado genesis is still something that's a little evasive, even still. Right, right. And the thing is, is we do have, you know, we'll have our SPC products that come out. So people in those areas kind of have a pretty good sense, at least on that day, of what they're looking at, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's just, you know, when exactly will a tornado form? Once it does, once we see that first signature, either on radar or from a spotter, then I think we have a pretty good idea of where it will go. It's just pinpointing, you know, which storms are going to produce a tornado. That's still a bit uh, el elusive. Right. And we have, uh, you, you were mentioning to me a little bit earlier on, Becky, about the fact that, you know, <laughs> one of the scenes that, the most famous scene, I think, that all of us remember are the cows flying through the air. <laughs> and you said that Reed Timmer, our storm chaser, just had an experience like that. 
Yeah, Jesse, where was that filmed? Was it that Colorado? Um, it was either Colorado or it might have been the Wyoming okay. tornado over the weekend that, that he saw some uh, farm animals lofted. And I think that probably happens more often than you'd think because there are a lot of farms out there in Tornado Alley. Exactly. So, I mean, they're going to be exposed. But, it, you know, it was it, at the time it seemed like such a, a funny scene to just watch. But the fact is that, you know, everything that's going to be in its path is going to be, you know, flying through the air. And that same scene had the sister tornadoes, which is something that Reed just observed yesterday in Colorado. So, pretty accurate movie. Yeah, I'm friends with a lot of storm chasers on Facebook, and I think the majority of storm chasers, um, this is kind of a darling, Twister is kind of a darling movie to them, and they, you know, they play the soundtrack when they're chasing and and things like that. So, as far as movies go, I I think Twister is is better off than most when it comes to the hobbyists and the scientists appreciating it. Okay, just a reminder, we are talking to meteorologist Becky DePodwin and meteorologist Jesse Farrell about weather in the movies. Let's look at the, uh, let's talk about the next movie, and that was the day after tomorrow. And I'm just going to, that was with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Dennis Quaid, uh, 2004. So just the uh, Cliff Notes version of this one I'll give real quick as well. If you haven't seen it, I, I thought it was a pretty good movie. But uh, Quaid, he's a paleontologist. I can't even say this word. <laughs> paleontoclimatologist <laughs> from NOAA. And he tries to warn leaders at the UN conference of the catastrophic effects looming regarding global warming. So he's, he's basically dismissed. But then the Atlantic Ocean temperature off the U.S. coast starts to change dramatically which leads to a global superstorm, which creates a new ice age. So let's launch into this. I'm not sure that there was much in that movie that was accurate. <laughs> That's, that was the more <laughs> of the ridiculous scenario. From a scientific perspective, it, was, it, was, it had a decent plot and, and good acting, and the effects were pretty good too. But from a scientific basis, there, uh, there's not much in that that was accurate, as I recall. I love it. It's absurd. It's it's so absurd. I think one of the biggest things that always stood out to me was when Dennis Quaid is describing, I think we'll get to this clip eventually, he's describing these expanding storms, and he refers to these giant cyclones as supercells. So supercell <laughs> is a very mesocyclone, small-scale thing, and so that, to me, just really jumped out because there was a vastly different, different terms. And there were times where it was, uh, like, I noticed that the storms were spinning clockwise and then other times counterclockwise and you know we know that low pressure areas in the northern hemisphere are, are uh, counterclockwise so like at times i'm like a storm's not even spin in the same direction the whole time <laughs> so you have a clip on this right jesse uh i'm gonna have you set that up sure so there's this uh clip in this movie where the helicopters are are flying and all of a sudden there's what they call a rapid freeze up that uh actually freezes the helicopters and causes them to crash okay so let's play that prepare for crash landing That was pretty spectacular. <laughs> it was, and then the, the here's like we're actually watching it while we're sitting here in the studio. But the funny part is, after those choppers go down because it froze, the guy opens the door, and he's fine <laughs> for about two seconds, and then he immediately freezes in place. <laughs> yeah, that kind of 
freeze up doesn't happen in the real world. <laughs> right. Saying nothing of the fact that it looked like they were flying into the center of a hurricane, which wouldn't have cold air with it in the first place. That's what was funny to me is it looked like a hurricane on land. Right. So, like, what what were your thoughts on, was there anything, Jesse, I think you already said, you don't think they got much of anything right in this one, right? Yeah, I'm sticking with that. <laughs> I, I can't think of a single thing either. I, it's, I don't think they even tried, to be honest, because, and then they made it very cinematically appealing, which is great, but th- there's not much that's accurate. Right. I thought it was, I thought it was, I gotta say, I thought it was a, a fun thrill ride. It was kind of like going on a roller coaster. I was like, this was a lot of fun. Knew that you know very little of it but i have another clip this was one of the funniest explainer parts to me of this superstorm so uh let me see if i can get to this one jack were you able to recreate the thermal cycle yes the storm's rotation is pulling super cool air all the way down from the upper troposphere but shouldn't the air warm up before it reaches ground level it should but it doesn't. The air is descending too rapidly. So the part is that this an isolated incident? <laughs> the part that cracks me up on this is we know that air sinking is going to warm as it descends. Am I right? They just basically throw around these these fancy meteorological terms without ever using them accurately. I mean, there's a lot of terms in there that are actual terms: super cooled air, you know, cyclone, air falling down, pulling down. They're, those are accurate terms. They're just not using them properly at all. Like the term supercell to describe this giant, you know, twice the size, three times the size of a normal hurricane or cyclone to describe. It's it's just not it's not at all accurate. Right terms, wrong use. <laughs> yeah, it's basically like marketing speak. It sounds good to the audience, but it's essentially meaningless. Right. And the other thing was, I thought, like, if you knew nothing, but it looks terrifying. Like, when I start watching it and they have, like, the scene, there was the scene with the um, woolly mammoth, I think, with the food still in its mouth, and that it froze so rapidly that, like, you know, that they found it. So then I'm like, okay, let me Google this. So I'm, like, going around on Google trying to see if I can find anything. Can't, can't find anything, really, to support anything from real agencies. I feel like there have been, fairly recently, woolly mammoths found with food still in their stomachs. I mean, they did, they did die fairly rapidly, just not quite to the level that was shown here. But maybe in a day or two, um, temperatures could have dropped quickly enough that they froze. A matter of days, not minutes or seconds as it's shown in the movie right what about the uh scene where the giant wave like surges through midtown manhattan i like that scene i'm kind of a sucker for a good tsunami disaster type thing but it wouldn't have been caused in the way uh that the movie described if a tsunami came uh to being uh, that size it would have been caused by a major earthquake yeah i think that's an important distinction to make tsunamis are always caused by fluctuations within the earth not usually by you can have like rogue waves caused by storms that's not quite the same as what was depicted going there, into were, New York there City. was the media tsunami a couple of weeks ago uh, on the east coast as yeah. a result of the thunderstorms but it was only two inches high so not really <laughs> cinema quality right not quite as interesting as that so uh if you had to pick your favorite of the two movies uh which one and why becky I, you know, I'm going to buck the trend here. It's the day after tomorrow because it's just so absurd. It's so wrong. It's so bad. But the acting is phenomenal. The, the visuals are pretty funny. I just It keeps you on your toes. Even though I know it's horribly wrong, I think it's fantastic. <laughs> what about you, Jesse? What about day after tomorrow versus Sharknado? 
Ooh. Oh, that's the next one we'll have to. You know what? When we talk about warmer temperatures, maybe that's the one we'll have to get hit. When we talk about warmer temperatures in the water, sharks uh, in the water, you know, in the southeast, maybe we'll have to hit the Sharknado one. Well, Sharknado <laughs> 6, the, the final one, is coming out in <laughs> August. <Six>. So, <laughs> Well, we have that to look forward to. That's pretty exciting. I can't wait for that one. <laughs> this one involves time travel. I'm not even kidding. Oh, my gosh. Are you serious? <laughs> well, which one of the two then with uh, Twister? And day after tomorrow, I think I already know your answer. Yeah, Jesse. it's going to be Twister. I, Twister is a movie that's dear to my heart because I'm a bit of a storm chaser myself, and they got enough right. And it was—it's kind of a cult following. I think it has, as opposed to being like a more general public movie that uh, like day after tomorrow. Yeah, favorite favorite quote. Oh boy, there's so many quotes in Twister. I was just looking at the IMDb page, and there's so many great ones. Probably some of the the stuff that uh, Jonas, the bad guy, spouts out uh, <laughs> when he's trying to diss uh, the main character played by uh, by uh, oh uh, Bill Paxton. Uh, Bill Paxton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's a, a pretty great scene. They really did obviously exaggerate the uh, drama. Um, in the storm chasing community, however, the storm chasing community does have its its fair amount of drama. Yeah, <laughs> the ones that want to get there first. Yeah, yeah. Right. I like the uh, my favorite is about rolling the maps. Do not fold the maps <laughs> <laughs> when rabbits like roll the maps. So, um, and I got to say, my favorite probably of the two. I'm with you, Becky, because. I thought that there was a little bit more three-dimensional characters in the day after tomorrow, even though it was it was so ridiculous. I was like, oh, I'm kind of drawn into the story and everything. But, uh, you know, I liked that there was more accuracies in tri- Twister, but basically it was about the storms and just chasing the storm. So I could see totally where uh, Storm Chasers, if you're into that, that's the one you're going to like. Well, thanks for uh, spending some time with me today to talk about those, you two. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for having us on. Thank right. you. And we want to thank you for listening to the AccuWeather podcast. And we want to remind you to subscribe if you haven't already, wherever you get your podcast, and go on and give us a review as well. Well, I'm joined in the studio now by meteorologist, our chief meteorologist, I should say, Bernie Reno. Thanks for joining me today, Bernie. Regina, anything for you. All you have to do is ask. <laughs> I know. That's the great thing. Yeah. So after this, I'm going to have you run some errands, pick yes. up my dry cleaning. I can be whatever. your lackey. <laughs> okay. Everybody should have a lackey. Okay. Well, right? you guys heard it. You guys yeah. heard it, or so. you, I can be your assistant. Okay, yes. I'll right. hold your coffee for you in the morning. I my, know we drink my, plenty of that. We do. My yeah. intern Bernie Reno yes. is here right now. So, uh, Bernie, actually, the reason I wanted to bring you in is because we've been talking about Alberto, or mm-hmm. pretty much everybody's been talking about Alberto, because it's the first named storm. We're not even into the season yet, but but there's been some questions as to, to the fact that subtropical versus tropical lows. I think there's some confusion there. So I thought, well, you would be the perfect person to bring in to kind of explain that. And that confusion occurs every year because in most instances, if you look back, the first name system of the season is typically more oftentimes than not a subtropical low or a subtropical storm. You know, when you think about that, tropical storm means it's from the tropics. Sub means not really. So it's kind of a combination of both. And if you step back and you think about it, you know, there's two different ways we get tropical systems during the hurricane season. I think the one that most people are familiar with are these areas of showers and thunderstorms that begin in the tropics, whether it's a tropical Atlantic or the Caribbean, and then they become a tropical depression, then become a tropical storm, and then a hurricane. It's all fueled 
by thunderstorms because what happens with thunderstorms you get the release of latent heat what does that do it warms the atmosphere that's why you hear that term warm core it's a warm core system so when now when you think of a subtropical storm you're getting characteristics of tropics and heat and sub which means not from the tropics so a subtropical low or subtropical storm has characteristics of both tropical and a storm that you would see most likely in the winter months where you get the storms coming up the eastern seaboard. Now what happened in Alberto, it was a combination of moisture from the tropics and energy from the jet stream across North America. And this time of the year when you get development, you get development from stalled out frontal boundaries or energy in the jet stream that is able to drop south, pick up some of that tropical moisture, and then you get a storm to develop. And you will notice, anybody that looked at the satellite picture of Alberto, it didn't look, when it first stormed, like a tropical storm, no, did it? No, it didn't. It looked like a winter storm. Mm -hmm. You know, you had that calm ahead with most of the rain and the, and the wind on the eastern side of the storm. That's because you had an upper low that dropped out of North America into the Gulf of Mexico, picked up the tropical moisture. So Alberto had characteristics of both a winter storm and a tropical system, but it looked more like a winter storm in that all of the rain and all of the wind was well east of the storm center. Now, what confuses things a little more in time, if you can get a subtropical storm to sit out in open warm water, slowly but surely it can translate into a purely tropical system. How does it do that? Well, when that center of circulation sits over warm water, you get more and more thunderstorms that occur around the center of the storm. And with thunderstorms, you get the release of latent heat. What does that do? It warms the atmosphere. So it which creates means its own, own circulation. Okay. And then what you start getting is, instead of all the showers and thunderstorms along the eastern side of the storm, you start seeing the showers and thunderstorms form around the center, and then it grows outward from the center. So eventually you get a storm that looks more like a winter storm in time, look more and more like a tropical system. And Alberto was beginning that transformation Sunday night it ran out of time because it approached the, floor, uh, the Florida Panhandle. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it didn't quite make that transformation. But that term subtropical storm, you will see that a lot in the early time of the season because the tropics are closed for development. There's too much dry air. There's too much strong winds in the atmosphere because of the jet stream. So you get these systems that are hybrid. They're formed from tropical moisture, but then energy drops south from the jet stream. That's what a subtropical uh, storm is. And we'll see it again, I am sure, during this year, but it's usually an early part of the year. Okay. Now, uh, just a quick question. Uh, what's with Alberta, what's happening now, and what can we expect as we head into the weekend? I'll tell you what, anybody looking uh, over the early part of the week, you are able to watch the circulation of Alberto come northward Monday, 
Tuesday, Wednesday. It still had a center of circulation. It still had wind around it. There was flooding rains in Birmingham and Montgomery on Tuesday. Those rains moved into the uh, uh, Midwest across Indianapolis and uh, parts of Indiana and Ohio. When these systems come on shore, whether subtropical or tropical, um, while they diminish their winds, their moisture, instead of them being around the center, start to spread out. That's why the big story with these systems are flooding rain. We saw that on Tuesday. We've seen it a little bit on Wednesday. But as we've gone through this week, um, uh, Alberto has weakened. It's been absorbed by the trough, and it will no longer be an issue as we go through the rest of this week. Okay. Thanks, Bernie. I hope that made sense. <laughs> it could be very confusing, but you will hear the term subtropical storm again. That much I can promise you. Okay. Thanks, Bernie. I love to have Bernie Reno on here. Don't you, Andy? I do too. You know, he was so great last week. We had to bring him back for, uh, for another appearance. He's just fantastic. He is. He explains it so well. So, uh, he might have a new job as a regular on here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Doing it on the side. Uh, but also I want to remind you about our app. Andy, you, you and I have talked about this. Of course. We have it. Yep. It's a handy-dandy weather app that you can have right on your phone. It's got minute cast, which will tell you if you're out and about somewhere at a picnic or something, it's going to rain, you know, in your area in six minutes. So it's fantastic for that. So download the AccuWeather app, and then we want to remind you that next week we've got some pretty uh, compelling, uh, a pretty compelling story with our podcast. We're talking about the new information that came out regarding Hurricane Maria last year where now they're saying 70 times the amount of the official report and the death toll is what they uh, think occurred. And we have uh, one of our meteorologists, actually, her family's in Puerto Rico. She lived through it. She's going to talk about it. So we have that coming up next week. All those to look forward to. So we hope to see you right back or you can hear us right back here next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to the AccuWeather podcast, giving you the stories behind the weather, discussions on trending weather topics, and so much more. New episodes every Thursday. Just search for AccuWeather on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.